0: Welcome to the Sunday Morning Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Crawley. This message is by Colin Squires. It's great to be here together this morning. I think maybe for the first time this morning uh, to be all congregations, all live. We're streaming live this morning to Crawley um, and also Worthing, Burgess Hill, and, uh, and just to be all together to, as we take the next step on this journey. Now, you may have heard last week, or hopefully you heard, that over these next coming three weeks or so, uh, some of the content that we're going to be looking at may not be appropriate for under-16s. Now, I want to, to, to clarify that. What we're covering over these next two, three weeks is absolutely essential that we talk about with our children and our young people but it must be done so sensitively and in an age-appropriate manner. So the content of these next three weeks you may feel is appropriate to share, but we just wanted to let you see it first, hear it first, what God wants to say, and then just to your wisdom, discernment, and with the Lord of how you might want to communicate that with family. So if you're in the room here or uh, anywhere watching at home, um, then and you have children with you, I would encourage you now just to take them to the children's groups um, or take them out. Or if you're watching on the stream, maybe pause this, watch this later on your own and just switch over to the parents tab and go through the the Young Saints work this morning and, and just really meet with God through that. Come back and watch this later. But just wanna make sure we've given ample opportunity for people to have that time. So there we go. But I am excited. That said, I'm excited for what God wants to do and say over these coming weeks. Some people are looking a little bit nervous. What's he going to say next? It's, it's, it's all right. Don't worry. Um, we've, God's been speaking about this culture of grace. Um, Pastor Clive brought a great message last week here in Horsham. And a lot of what God's has been to say about this culture of grace started coming out in that. He also had recorded a message uh, the week before, which was about the, the same thing, and it really kind of went into the, the details of it, it um, went in deeper, and just a bit more of bringing out the word and what God wanted to say through that. So if you've not watched that, if you were watching the, the stream last week, I'd really encourage you, Pastor Plan and chatted earlier, uh, like, it would be great to go back and just watch that, because it just brings out so much more and really helps set the scene for what God's saying at the moment in this context of being a culture of grace. I might have to drink a lot this morning. I don't think I've ever been so nervous about bringing a message in my life, but there we go. If she knew the very worst about me, would she still love me? That was the question that I was asking myself just about a month or so before I knew I wanted to ask Kate to be my wife. We had uh, we'd been dating for over a year. We had been friends for like four years before that, and thankfully, because at first in our relationship we were not remotely interested in one another, um, we had never gone through that awkward trying to impress one another stage. You know, when you're trying to be suave, which I inevitably would fail at anyway. So glad we skipped that. But we just were just mates, you know. So. Um, she had already seen me at my at my worst. She would seen me get frustrated and upset. She'd see me when I was tired and like just at the end of my rope a bit. She'd seen me when I was chewing with my mouth open and you know um, like had a bear in the cave, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So it, it was there was never that trying to be cool with each other or flirtiness or anything like that, which was brilliant foundation because it meant that when we started dating we already knew the real deal do you know what i mean it wasn't like we suddenly had to discover well what do you really like you know when you're, when your parents are winding you up what do you like with them all that stuff we'd we'd had that opportunity which i'm really thankful for however there was still this question inside me if she knew that thing though would she still love me would she still want to be with me I didn't want us to get married with this question hanging over me. I also didn't want us to get married only for a few years later, her to find out something that would cause her to resent me for never telling her sooner. I didn't want to lie, but I was scared of what her reaction might be. I realised there was only one thing I could do. I said one day, can we have a conversation? Can we sit down? I want to talk to you about some things. And uh, we made the space and I sat down and I told her, uh, I explained why. But I said, I want to tell you the very worst, most awful things I've ever said, done, or even thought. Because I need to know that you know everything about me and you still choose me. Because otherwise I feel like I was somehow living a lie. And the only reason that you the only person you have really fell in love with was the fantasy of me, was the idea of me that I could present, but not the real me. And so We had probably the most awkward and difficult conversation I'd ever had with another human being uh, in my life and told her things I'd never told anybody else. I laid it all out on the line. And Kate, in that moment, showed me so much grace, forgiveness, acceptance and love. She represented Jesus to me so well. And it actually ended up bringing us closer. There was a trust birthed in our relationship from that moment that we knew there was nothing hidden. There were no secrets in our relationship. There was nothing had to worry about. Or oh, what about this? Or she had to think, or oh, like, what was that text about? Or anything like that. There was just nothing. And I'm so thankful to God for, for that. God is inviting us, I believe, into that kind of intimacy, that trust in him and one another where there are no secrets, there's no questions, there's no you know, question motives or anything like that. We are truly and utterly open and at peace with him. There's nothing holding us back. He's inviting us to intimacy. But the greatest enemy of intimacy is shame. Now, this is true since the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve, it says, were naked and unashamed before God. There was nothing that he couldn't see or know about them and they didn't even care, there was no shame. But when they sinned, something came into their lives that said even though they hadn't changed, they looked no different. They were scared of how they looked and what they'd become and so they hid. Since the beginning, shame separates us from intimacy with God. And this question of, but would God even fully accept me because of what this is, what's going on in my life can be a question that we can ask ourselves. And this, of course, affects one another. Guilt is a positive thing. Guilt says, I've done something wrong and now I know about it because there's a feeling of guilt inside me and I need to put it right. Guilt uh, moves us towards action, to repentance, to restoration. However, shame doesn't say, I did wrong. Guilt says, I did wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. There is something wrong with me. Shame doesn't move us towards repentance and restoration. Shame moves us away from relationship. And if we are going to be a church where we truly draw close to God, where we truly know what it means to love one another, where we are truly effective in reaching a hurting and broken world, we need to have a culture of grace. Because grace Defeats shame. Amen. Today, uh, we're going to begin to tackle an area that brings so much shame to so many, but hopefully, Jesus is going to come through with grace. I want to be vulnerable with you today. As we go on a journey of learning to be honest with one another, I want to make a statement that if He can talk about it, if the Horsham congregation pastor or whatever can talk about this stuff, then it's okay for everyone to talk about anything. I wanna be really vulnerable with you as we go on this journey and I want to invite you to go on that journey with me and say, would you be vulnerable with me, with one another? We don't wanna leave any space for the devil to rob us of anything that Jesus has won for us, promised us, his destiny for us, his calling. I wanna make this statement through sharing some testimony. The main thing that I told Kate, the thing that I'd felt so much shame over for years and years, was that I was addicted to pornography. Now, I know that this is a very evocative subject. Some people will be going, At last! Someone mentioned the P word in church! This is brilliant! I hate this stuff and we need to address it! This is so good! Some will be going okay, I'm not really comfortable with anyone saying this word in church and now I don't know where to look. (laughs) Other people will be thinking like, well, okay, that's a bit odd. It's a subject for Christians, isn't it? Because that's not a problem for Christians and for the church. And and other people may be thinking like, at last, I just need hope. So whatever your reaction to this word and whatever your reaction to my statement, we have to go here. And we're going to look at why in just a moment. But whatever this subject brings up for you, this is something that the church can't ignore. I want to share some statistics with you that help frame this conversation. It is estimated that the pornography industry worldwide is worth $97 billion. There are currently more than 42 million porn sites representing 2.3 billion pages. By the way, that was back, some of these stats are back from as early as 2011. It was estimated in 2018 that 12% of the websites on the internet are for pornography. 25% of all search engine requests, that's 68 billion per day, are pornography related. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. Porn sites get more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon and Twitter combined. The total number of porn videos viewed last year by one site was 91.5 billion. That means that one site, one site, had more than 12.5 videos viewed for every man, woman and child on the planet. In 2017, the, the top porn site had 64 million views per day. And you know what? Over the last 19 months during a pandemic, all of these stats rose sharply. So who's watching? Eight in 10 men, 79% of men between the ages of 18 and 30 view pornography monthly. 2018 saw the proportion of female visitors to one of the biggest porn sites rise uh, to 29%, an increase of 3% points over 2017. In fact, the fastest-growing demographic of pornography viewers is university-age women. The average age for someone to be exposed to pornography was 11 in 2015. Some researchers believe that that statistic may now actually be as low as 8. The NSPCC research shows that 94% of children have reported seeing pornography by the age of 14. 22% reported that it was shown to them by someone else without them expecting it. Pauline Oosterhoff, who is a research fellow uh, for the Institute of Development Studies, said over the past 15 years, internet pornography has become the predominant channel through which young people learn about sex. Pornography is the sex education of our generation. What about the church? There'll be people who say, "Well, that's those are staggering statistics, but it's not a problem for the church." Christian men who actively seek pornography, 81% of young men ages 13 to 18, 76% aged 18 to 24, 65% aged 25 to 39, 47% ages 36 to 60. About on average 66% of men in church and 30% of women in church view pornography regularly. Most pastors, 57%, and youth pastors, 64%, admit that they've struggled with porn either currently or in the past. 93% of churches, having said all of that, do not have a ministry program for those struggling with porn. And until now, we would be one of them. So what about the effects? Without going into the statistics on this, the effects on us as human beings, both psychologically, sociologically, and relationally, is just, is horrendous. Pornography has been linked to an increase in the objectification of and violence towards women, lower sexual satisfaction within marriage, sexual dysfunction, earlier and higher risk sexual activity in adolescence, lower self-esteem, social immaturity, social isolation, behavioural issues, depression, reduced healthy emotional attachments within family and addictive behaviour. It funds sex trafficking, prostitution and the exploitation of women. And it's teaching our children that the sex in porn is normal, healthy and to be expected. Ooh, sobering, right? Really sobering, that is just skimming the surface. If you would like to find out more about some of these stats, and there are many, many more, uh, we could, we could, we could just, I could just read for another hour on, on these kind of statistics. You can check out Josh McDowell's The Porn Epidemic. Um, he's, he's put together some phenomenal statistics all in one place. Just Google it, The Porn Epidemic, it's, it's sobering reading. Pornography is in every way, and I'm sure we would all agree, a perversion of God's plan for purity, holiness, sexuality. And it's not just in the world. Whereas well, and, and in the church, as well as it having all the effects that we just mentioned, all those, those kind of practical effects, the spiritual effects and the ramifications are sobering too. It is robbing us of our intimacy with God and one another. And it's robbing us of our authority and our integrity before the world. Amen. Now, even if pornography is not an issue for you, praise God and God bless you. <laughs> if it is not an issue for you, it is for our society and, and for the church. And if we're one body and it's affecting one part of us, then one part of us is, uh, is suffering, then we're all suffering. And, we, and of course, it's affecting our children. And yet the church generally has been pretty quiet on the topic. I think part of the reason that the church has been quiet is that a lot of the time the church hasn't known how to respond. The number of times I've heard the story of someone going to a pastor and saying, I'm struggling in this area. Will you pray for me? And the pastor says, yes, I'll, I'll pray for you. Come back and tell me in a week how it's going. They come back in a week later. How are you doing? Still struggling. OK, well, I'll pray for you. Come back in a month and tell me how you're doing. Come back in a month. I'm still struggling. OK, well, I'll pray for you. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> and, uh, and, and just not really knowing how to address this issue. And if those statistics are to to be believed, and my experience tells me there is no reason to not believe them, then it could well be that half the time that pastor, maybe the reason they don't know what to do is because they don't know how to get out of it themselves. But the answers are there. They are in the word. After all, this is not a new problem. In fact, it was a pretty big issue for the New Testament church too. I kind of feel like everyone just needs to sort of like shake themselves off a little bit. Like, phew, it's not supposed to be that heavy, you know, full of grace and love, Jesus, thank you. We're not addressing this, so we go, oh, no, no, how are we ever going to tackle this? We do this because Jesus first, you know, he, he wants to share, okay, this is the bad news, but don't worry, I've come to bring the good news. Amen. This is a, a New Testament issue. The Apostle Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth planting a church. Now... Corinth was a bustling, cosmopolitan city. It was a very modern city for the day. It was built on a thin isthmus between the Aegean and the Ionian Sea, like a land bridge that made it a really very busy port uh, for sailors and for traders. They would kind of carry their boats and walk the the four and a half miles across the land bridge rather than sail the 220 miles to get all around to the the sea on the other side. It was a center of Greek culture. And it was a city developed to hedonism and pleasure-seeking. It was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. What, stay, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It was also, uh, as well as being this, this busy port, it was also the uh, centre of worship for the goddess of love, sexuality and beauty, Aphrodite. Being this busy port, all of these sailors and traders would come from all over the world. And while there, they would see the beautiful, incredible, ginormous temple dedicated to Aphrodite. And they would come to offer their worship. But worship then didn't look like what it does now. For Aphrodite, worship meant visiting a temple prostitute, sleeping with her and giving your money through her to the temple. Ancient Greek writings tell us that at one stage there were over 1,000 temple prostitutes dedicated to Aphrodite. Corinth was so synonymous with libidiousness that in Paul's day, the word Corinthian was slang for a prostitute. Can you imagine if that was true of Horsham? Oh, she's a Horshamite, you know, like, ooh, or worthing or Crawley, or whatever. Like, uh, planting a church in that city would be <laughs> exciting, wouldn't it? That's exactly what Paul did. Caesar Nero, most famous for his debaucherous appetites, also became the emperor of Rome and the Roman Empire, including Corinth, the same year that Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthian church. And Emperor Nero represented the very antithesis of everything that Paul was teaching and wanted to communicate to the church, everything that that Jesus stood for. I mean, for a start, he was married to a 12-year-old boy named Sporus, uh, and Nero made him dress up as a woman and, and called him his wife. He also married a, na- a lady named Statilia Messalina and a man named Pythagoras. At the, uh, the the wedding to the lady, Nero was the man. At the ma- wedding to the man, Nero played the wife. He wore a bridal veil and everything. We could we read all about this. Um, I think it was Tacitus who wrote about it. But anyway, then uh, you can't imagine that Boris Johnson would get away with that today, right? <laughs> you might think like whatever you think about about Bojo and like his personal life. It kind of puts it in perspective, you know, Barnard Castle, kind of the scandal levels don't quite equate, right? But this wasn't just an issue, oops, excuse me, we don't need those anymore, um, outside of the church either. The believers in Corinth were from a very different background from some of the others that Paul, the churches that Paul was planting, they were from a pagan background with very different kind of um, moral understandings than the Jewish believers. And so the pagans, they had, the pagan believers, this was believers in the church, they had this phrase, um, food for the body, for the stomach and the stomach for food. And it was kind of a way of saying, popular phrase at the time, that kind of meant to say like, um, you know, if you're hungry, eat. If you're feeling amorous, have sex. It's just physical. It's just the body. It's not got a spiritual connotation. And Paul was writing his letter, the first few chapters, these middle few chapters of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, particularly to address these issues in the church. And there, is a, there was even one guy, he mentions it in Corinthians, one Corinthians saying, there's even someone among you who's sleeping with his mother, we assume, his father's wife, we assume stepmother, but not like that makes it much better. Um, and even worse, you're okay with it. Some of you are even proud of it, that it's worse than the other pagans are doing. It's this context, this church that Paul is writing to. And we could bring out loads. We could do a whole other. You know, a whole nother morning just looking at what Paul brings out in 1 Corinthians. We don't have time for that this morning, but we just want to look at one thing that Paul does bring out. The fact that he addresses it. Talking about this subject in church is not a new thing. It is not because Colin thought it would be a good idea to do one day. This is from the beginning of the church this was an issue. Paul addressing this issue and explaining, how do we go from where you've been of your understanding of what's okay to the the best that God has for us. And that's the journey that the the church today needs to go on too. And sadly, we don't have an Apostle Paul to write a letter to us this morning, so I'll do my best, but we'll see how we go. Um, Sexual immorality is the word that Paul uses when addressing these things. In the Greek is the word porneia. And I'm sure you can guess where we get the word pornography from. We need to talk about porn. Now, at this stage, you might be asking... What has this got to do with a culture of grace? Partly, it's because nothing seems to evoke shame like sexual immorality. We have no problem talking about alcoholism or drug addiction. Workaholism is sometimes even kind of subtly encouraged within ministry. Um, It's not okay. (laughs) We can talk about overeating or maybe having a little bit too much to drink on the weekend or shopping spree or binging Netflix. But as soon as someone said, actually, yeah, I was was watching pornography. (laughs) We don't talk about that. That's evil. That's on a next level. Even though Paul does talk about it on the same level as thievery and, you know, just kind of, uh, what is it? You can go read read Corinthians. It's all in there. Um, Thievery, greed as well. Anyone ever been greedy? He lists that alongside that. He talks about them all and yet for some reason in the West we've developed this culture where we can't talk about this one thing, which only serves to deepen shame. So as I said earlier, I'm going to go on and be very vulnerable with you. I want to share my testimony of what God has done in me in setting me free. Partly to bring hope to those who might be struggling in this area too and partly so that as a church we know that there's nothing that we can't talk about. If you can talk about this, you can talk about anything, right? Once again, I just want to issue this content warning one more time. If if you've got young people or any under 16s, may want them to leave the room right now. Uh, It is not my heart or my intention whatsoever that I would drag anyone's mind through the mud. I don't want to give anyone any sort of unhelpful imagery or anything like that. So this is definitely the very PG version, even though (laughs) we're no under-16s. If anyone wants to talk to me about this or a a bit more detail, I'll happily share it with you. But there's a difference between sharing it with you in the room and sharing it to the internet, and it's up there forever. And I don't know who's watching, but nevertheless, I want to be vulnerable with you. If, by the way, this brings up anything for you that is difficult because you've maybe had a similar experience, then you need to get some air, please, by all means. I was first exposed to sex at a young age. On different occasions, both same sex and opposite sex, I was introduced to things that were new and exciting and yet at the same time scary and that I somehow knew were wrong and felt they needed to be kept secret. I felt I couldn't talk to anyone about it, and that if I did, I'd be told that I'd done something wrong and be in trouble. I thought that there must be something wrong with me. Shame was part of sex for me from day one. I was first exposed to pornography, when a boy at school gave me some pages that were torn out of a pornographic magazine. Apparently they were found in a hedge. I don't know if you you were a child of that time, the amount of porn that was found in hedgerows. I don't know how it ended up there, but there you go. That was the way it seemed to be. Um, And again, I I took it home and I folded it up and I hid it in my bedroom. And I knew something inside me. I just knew that I shouldn't have it and it wasn't okay. But I was drawn to the images and the words that were there. I, I found I couldn't... Throw it away. Things got a. This is definitely. I just realised. This is definitely the PG version. We're skipping a lot here, but things got um, got worse with the advent of home internet and then high-speed internet broadband. Porn went from something that you had to walk into a shop and buy or find in a hedgerow, which I wasn't really likely to be doing at twelve years old, to something that you could access at home in secret and for free. Over the next few years, what was, an, what was an interest became a habit, which slowly but surely became an addiction. Now, you might not be comfortable with the word addiction. It's not a word that we use lightly, nor is it one that we often talk about in church. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk a lot more about the addiction side of things and, and that kind of thing. But um, today, we're, just, we're just, just, let's just go with it. By the time that I was in my early teens... Not even, not even a Christian, as a non-Christian, I knew that something was wrong. Porn made me late for school, it kept me up at night, it made me fall behind in my work, it affected my social interactions. I even, a lot of the time, I found that I wasn't even interested in the things I was looking at. I didn't like them. If you asked me while I was sober, like, what was I attracted to or interested in or wanted to see, it was not this. I couldn't understand why, even though I didn't want it and didn't like it and was really concerned about its effects upon me, I couldn't stop. I tried, as a non-Christian, everything I could think of, to not do it. And yet, time and time again, I would fail. And the worst thing was, I had no idea who I could talk to about it. It was completely secret to me. And I didn't know where I could turn. A month before that, I was 17, I... Jesus stepped into my life. I was saved. Like miraculously, life turn around, utter transformation, saved. Like, I, okay, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Up to that point, I'd started to be drinking very heavily, both parties and even at home on my own. Um, I wouldn't say I was an alcoholic by any stretch of the imagination, but it was not going a good way for me. That stopped immediately. I'd started dabbling in, in smoking weed, and that stopped immediately. Every other word that I used to say was a swear word, and that stopped immediately. God transformed my life and my way of thinking. But there was one thing, one area of my life, that just something didn't change. It was this area. It didn't stop. I knew that porn was wrong. I knew it was sin and a horrible thing. I knew that before, but now I had a different understanding, a deeper understanding, a spiritual understanding of what it was doing. And as my relationship with God grew, so did my hatred of porn. I felt like Paul in Romans 7. You ever read that passage where he says, I hate the things that I do. I, I don't know why I do the things that I do. I don't want to do them, but I do them anyway. And at the same time, the things that I know are good and are right, I don't do. What a wretched man I am. That, that chapter up to that point could have summed up my life. What a wretched man I am. A Bible college helped. Bible college, when I was 20, uh, the teaching on who I was in Christ Jesus, who I am in Christ Jesus, um, at that time really helped start a process of renewing my mind. I think I went the whole first term and there were no issues. It was great. That was the first time in, since, I was, since I was probably about five years old that I hadn't been thinking about sex every day. But, eventually, something would happen, something would come up, the temptation would seem too great, and I would give in, and I would find myself back right where I was. And I tried everything to get free. I prayed, I fasted, I cried out to God, I fell on my knees, I wept, I read my Bible, I prayed in tongues, I joined every team I could to serve. Maybe I could earn God's favour back and maybe I could earn some kind of righteousness by working really, really hard, but nothing worked. I would promise myself and God over and over again, I won't do it again, I hate this thing, I will never do it again. And time and time again, I found myself unable to keep that promise. One time, completely fed up with feeling this way, I confessed to a pastor who, what was going on, only to have them completely ignore it. They just said, oh, well, what's God been saying to you recently? Never brought it up again. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but that only served to deepen the shame. And I, I forgive that person, you know, I bless them. Like, this, I'm not holding anything against anybody. But I know that that's been an experience for a lot of people. You might have even been in this church and told somebody one day and the response just wasn't very helpful. For that, I'm sorry. I hated porn and what it was doing to me, but no matter how hard I tried, I could not stop on my own. I thought I was messed up. I thought I was the only one. I didn't think anyone else could be struggling in this area. I was surrounded by wonderful Christian men and women, but I felt so alone. When I joined the team here on the, for the church, the shame got so much worse. I felt that now I couldn't ever tell anybody. I had to get free of my on my own now because I couldn't tell anyone, because the rejection that I thought I would receive would would just it just it was too much. I saw God using me. I thank God he did use me, you know, like we saw amazing things that God was doing through me and I didn't want that to stop. I think I felt a bit like Paul, like maybe I just kind of got to the point where this is just a thorn in my flesh. It's something I'm just gonna have to live with that actually in some ways made me trust God's grace even more because I knew there was nothing good in me that could possibly be the reason anything good was happening through my life because I was wretched and awful. So it had to be God. And this kind of false thinking, you know, came into my head of like just just accept it, you know, it would make you trust God more. That's never God's best for us. Never what he intended. I thought I can't let anyone know because if I did, they wouldn't love me and I'd be rejected. It became better to live with the pain of this secret sin that I hated than face the greater pain of rejection. This is the great lie of the enemy. Keep it in the dark, keep it secret tell no one things continued like this for another couple of years and then when Kate and I started dating something changed I realised that I might one day marry this beautiful and pure wonderful godly woman and I knew more than anything I did not, desperately did not want to take this filthy horrible thing into our marriage I remember sat on the end of a bed just praying God help me honour this woman Help me live pure. Let me live free. I want to honour you. I want to honour her. I don't want to take this into our marriage, if we get married. And that started the most wonderful year of my life to that point. It was a year of freedom. It was a year of sobriety. There was no acting out. There was no relapsing. There was no going, looking at anything. Even my thoughts had changed. There was something just of joy and ease and a closeness in God. And I was thanking God every day for the freedom that I now knew I'd realised that I could walk in. And for a year, I walked in that goodness and that grace. Our relationship was deepening. I was thinking, thank you, Jesus. This is so good. You've dealt with this in me. And then one day, one night, I had a dream, it wasn't a very helpful dream, I'll let you fill in the blanks, and I woke up in the morning, and uh, or woke up from that dream, and it was almost like now, looking back, it's almost like I could hear the voice of the enemy whispering in my ear, you see, deep down, really who you are hasn't changed. When you're asleep, your brain, you know deep down you really want this still. You've not changed, you're still the same. Give up, you're never gonna be different. You're still the filthy wretch you always have been, and oh man, the lies of the enemy. How I could be, look at how I could believe that, but I did. And I thought, what's the point? And I went straight back to where I'd been. You might be asking, if you say you hated it so much, why did you keep going back to it? This is part of the snare of the enemy. When I'd looked at something that afterwards I just felt sick by and just like, why am I doing this? I hate this. I I don't ever want to go back to this again. I feel so awful. Guess what the lie of the enemy was? I know you feel so bad. If you just look at this thing, this will make you feel better. It will soothe you. It'll be an escape. It'll be nice. And so the thing that I had learned would help me feel better about the thing that I was doing was the very thing that I was doing. What a wretched man I was. This is the, the lie of the enemy. This is called that that sin confessed cycle, the binge-purge cycle that I'll never do it again, and then it just comes round and round again. I would still go months sometimes without going to porn, but it would keep coming back. It was at this time that I thought about asking Kate to marry me and I had this conversation with her. It was the first time I'd ever really told anyone everything that had happened both to me as a child and the decisions that I'd made since. The grace I received changed me. I fought with a fresh vigour, determined not to take this into our marriage. Seven months later, we, we did get married in a, in a period of sobriety and thanksgiving, and, uh, but I felt, if I'm honest, like a dry drunk. I, I was sober, but there was always something inside me of a kind of, something, almost like a need, I need to go, I feel like I need to go back to that. And, and throughout our, our, those early years of our marriage, I was always honest with Kate. I, I didn't hide it. I, and Again, just incredibly gracious on um, something that God did in her. And by the way, um, she sat right here and looking at me with encouragement and love, and I thank God for her. She might come and, and share some of this someday, just about what God was doing in her, because... Just the grace that God gave her and the, ins- in the insight and the revelation of how to a- tackle this as a yeah. wife, um, but also as my sister in Christ, I suppose, is, is quite amazing. And maybe she'll come and share that sometime. But uh, it, it felt like this morning it wasn't right the thing to do this morning. But anyway, let's, let's carry on. It was still this, this cycle. Months and it would be great, but something would happen and it would come back. Then one day I was asked if I would join a group of other leaders in the church to go through some material that someone had suggested that would be, might be good to help tackle this, this, um, this thing. Pornography, anyone heard about it in the church? And Maybe it would be a good thing to do. Did you want to come and look at the material? If we think it's good, maybe we'll adopt it as the church and we'll, we'll use it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, I think that could, yeah, it could definitely work. There might be somebody somewhere that it could benefit. Yeah, let's do it. So I went and I joined the group. I think it was probably the end of about the first session that I said, guys, I need to be real with you. Something had happened in me where I was so utterly fed up with this thing. What it was co- the pain that it was causing in me was now greater than the fear of rejection. I just couldn't live with it anymore. And I said, guys, I need to tell you something. I'm not really here as a leader to check out the material. I'm here as a participant because I need this material. And I'll forever be so thankful for the way those men loved me and accepted me, and were so gracious with me and showed Jesus to me. They challenged me, they equipped me, they walked with me. And thank God they helped lead me into the freedom that Jesus had always had for me. Amen. It was through being open and honest with those men and being equipped with the tools that this course called Conquer that I found freedom. And though I still have to be on my guard, and I tell you, it's not an easy journey. The enemy still wants to obviously try and take me out as he does with all of us. I now know I'm equipped with the tools that God wanted to give me in the first place to stand firm, to tear down every stronghold of the enemy and to walk in victory and freedom. Today, I am free. I've not watched pornography in over four years. And I thank God that he's taken what was the worst thing in my life that I believe he wants to turn to be a sword in my hand to strike down the enemy, not just in my life, but other men and this morning. It was through doing Conquer that I discovered that my porn addiction was not actually about sex. I it might sound crazy, but bear with me. All my life, I thought that I was sexually messed up, that I was just a disgusting person, and that's why I wanted to watch pornography. But God began to show me that actually that wasn't the case. Porn wasn't the problem. Porn was a symptom. Don't get me wrong, porn is a problem, but it wasn't the root of my problem. Russell Brand, the famous comedian and and, and public speaker, uh, particularly around the area of, of sex addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, he put it this way. Drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution. I'd learned from an early age to medicate my problems with sex. If I was bored, there was entertainment. If I was lonely, there was always a companion. If I felt overwhelmed or stressed, there was an escape. If I felt unlovable, worthless, or unwanted, there was always someone who welcomed me with open arms, always wanted me. Aphrodite, the horrible spirit of pornography. And this, part, uh, this is part of the reason that just praying repenting was not enough to get free. I could repent of the pornography but it didn't deal with the issues that were causing me to go there in the first place. What God had to do was take me on a journey of renewing my mind and undoing all of the damage that the enemy had done, and frankly, I had done to myself over years and years of just getting into this this rut. And again, we're going to look at this in a couple of years, a couple of a couple of years, a couple of weeks about the way that what pornography does in the brain, uh, what any addiction, in fact, does to the brain, um, or any stronghold, as the Bible would call it. And this stronghold in my mind needed to be torn down by the renewing of my mind and allow God to come and deal with the immense hurt and uh, shame that had been caused both by my decisions and things that had happened in the past so that he could heal that so that the symptom could also be dealt with. But this statement right here is so important we hear this. It is not about sex. And so for you, it might not be about porn at all. Praise God. Again, if if this is to you, you're like, I feel a bit uncomfortable because I've never even thought about this before. Praise God. But it might be that for you, when things are stressful or you feel angry or maybe you feel like you need to celebrate something, you maybe play video games or go shopping, or numb out on social media, or realize you've just lost four hours to YouTube, or binge watch Netflix, whatever it might be, it's like everyone is addicted to something. You know, there's something in all of our lives, I'm sure, that has become an idol where we go to that is not God for some form of satisfaction in some area of our lives. So this is the point. Today, we're doing two things. We are addressing this, this por- porn, the spirit of porn, and we are saying, no more. We will not be silent on this. We're going to stand for freedom and for victory, for health, for purity, for righteousness, for holiness in our church, in ourselves, in our lives, in our community. We are going to stand integrous before the world and say, we have an answer. But it's also not about porn today. It is about discipleship. Whether the idol that we go to to feel better is porn, TV, food, shopping, whatever, this is about learning to walk closer to Jesus, to trust him, know him, be more like him, to know his perfect freedom. So we're not just gonna deal with the symptoms, but the roots. Mm -hmm. Allow God to deal with the motivations behind the behaviors. Through Conquer I learned about the power of community. This battle is one that we were never meant to win alone. James, it, in James, it, it talks about the fact that if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, we may be healed. 1 John 1, 1.7 talks about if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. I want you to picture this for a moment. God, the creator of the universe, is walking with Adam in the cool of the garden. He's talking and chatting and showing him things. And at the end of the day, I don't know if you imagine it, Adam's sort of lying down in a nice cushy mattress of straw or something. And God's sitting in his cloud just chatting with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. That's how I imagine it. And having spent all day with Adam, the father says to Jesus or the Holy Spirit together and says, it's not good for man to be alone. God, who walked with Adam that day, says it's not good for him to be alone. If that doesn't speak about God's, from the start, plan for our need of community and his plan for us to relate not just to him, not I can faith this out on my own, but in community, I don't know what does. In being part of that First Conquer group and every group I've run since, I've seen a greater, for me personally, I believe, a greater expression of church, what church truly is meant to be than I have ever seen anywhere else. When you can be so completely Totally, with reckless abandon, honest with somebody, where you do not care, you do not worry, you're not fearful of what they think anymore. You can talk about anything. Like you can talk about this, you can talk about anything. Suddenly, there's this, this, oh, this just love of and thankfulness of thank you, Jesus, for what you've really done. There's no pretense anymore, and I truly believe that this is not something that God wants to stay in a men's purity group but for each and every one of us to experience. And this is what I believe God is inviting us to step into. Intimacy with one another and intimacy with him. We need community. There cannot be true community without intimacy. There cannot be intimacy without vulnerability. And there cannot be vulnerability without grace. This is why we need a culture of grace. So I'd like to invite you to respond. As I say, we're going to have some time to sort of, okay, we've talked about this. Well, where's the good news? Who am I in Christ? So Tell me some good things. Tell me what Jesus is going to do in me. All of that is coming. This is our first step. This is the step where we go, we recognise our need of Christ. Yeah. This is his invitation saying, if this is ringing true in you at all in any way, then take my hand, let's go on a journey and we deal with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to invite you, if there's something in your heart that says, in whatever way I want stand against this spirit of pornography in our church in society if you say i want to respond like the heart of the father of the prodigal that says I want to have a heart of grace, so that even if I'm not struggling, my brother or my sister know that they can talk to me because of the grace of God that they experience through me. If you have a heart that says, "I'm done with this in my life," and I this sounds like hope at last for me. If you're any of those things or anything else, there's just something in you that says, "Yes, Jesus." Then I'll encourage you to stand with me now. Let it be a part of response of saying, "Jesus, I'm standing against every weapon of the enemy, every curse. I'm standing on behalf of myself and those around me to say." I refuse this thing any longer. And we're just going to respond and just pray. There's a couple of other things I want to share, but right now, let's let's just let that ring true in my heart. Jesus, I choose to stand on the truth of who you say I am. Jesus, I confess right now and I believe that this is not the best that you've had for me or for anybody else in our church or our society. Jesus, I choose to stand on your truth, on your victory, to see every lie of the enemy cut off and utterly defeated and destroyed. I choose to see every snare of the enemy broken and every stronghold torn down. In the name of Jesus, I refuse to stay silent and I choose to speak out your truth, your love, your grace. Jesus, I choose right now to put on, to know that I am dressed in the full armour of God. I choose to raise my shield, both for myself and my brothers and sisters. I choose to raise the sword of the word, the spirit of God in my hand. And I choose to stand in this spiritual battle and say, no more. Now you might not feel at this stage that that is what is going. You might not feel strong. I just want to remind you I want to remind you that your authority is in Christ. Amen. It is in who you're clothed in. Amen. This lie of the enemy that I believe for so long is never the truth. Amen. So whether we feel like it or not, we make a choice this morning to say, as a church, we draw a line in the sand. No longer will this be a thing that we shy away from or is unspoken. But we attack head on. Yes. Yes. Hell has stolen so much from so many but we choose today to storm the gates of hell to choose to go in like Jesus who went to Hades and he brought out the prisoners in triumphal procession the same thing we choose to go after those who are lost who are hurting who are broken who don't know where to turn and to love them well Jesus name thank you Lord thank you Lord I believe there's a couple of things we should just respond to just in prayer for ourselves right now as well. If there's been anything that's coming up that you found today that's been difficult or I'm not sure I really like hearing about this or anything like that, let's just submit that to God. So God, would you help me with this? What do you, how do you want me to see this? How do you want me to address this? What does this mean for me? Just start to speak to him. Lord, maybe it's just help me be gracious to those around me if they are struggling. Help me to be a support to them. If there's something in you that just feels like, well, this sounds great, but I've been on this journey before, I've been round the circle before, and I don't know if I can really believe that this time there'll be anything different, just ask God just for that, that fresh hope, for faith to rise, for a decision just to, to know that there's something different now. You might need to ask for forgiveness afresh bravery to say, okay, what is this going to mean for me? What am I going to have to do? Conviction, just breaking shame. Just just speak to the Lord for the moment. And I want you to know that if you are struggling in this area, I just speak, God loves you. He has never stopped. He's never given up. And every time, even if it's time and time and time again, I think if the prodigal came back with a ring on his finger and the, the robe on his shoulders and the fatted calf slain, If the next year he said was in not a great place and he said, Father, can I have a bit more inheritance? And went off and did the same thing. Do you know what? I bet the father would still be there waiting time and time again until that time where the the, the son knew so totally that he was home, that he was loved, that there was no need for him to go and try and seek fulfillment anywhere else because he was so utterly fulfilled and known in that place. The father would time and time again say, Come to me, my son who is dead is now alive again. Thank you, Jesus. There's there's going to be time for response coming over these coming weeks. Um, And just the truth and and some ways to deal with this, tools in our hands, practical things. But today, as I say, is just first step. If you want to just take a seat again, there are a couple of last things I just need to share. After this morning, I completely appreciate that some of you might need to take some time to process some of this, maybe even in your heart towards me. Um, and I just want you to know I completely understand that. That's okay. Um, if, if you need to have a conversation with me, please, I'd love to have that conversation. I'd love to make sure I have the opportunity to earn any trust that may have been lost. Um, maybe that's not at all what's going on you, praise God. But if there is, I want you to know that's okay. I understand. So what now? Well, firstly, we've got these next coming three weeks talking about this, and it's not going to be the end of that. We're, if God's saying we need to address something, we're going to address it. We're going to keep going deeper with him. We're also going to be looking at understanding the brain, addiction, putting tools in our hand, what it means to have our minds renewed, all that stuff It's going to be great, really helpful. We've also got this, this week of prayer and fasting. And I would encourage you to take this week to set aside time to pray, and part of your praying and fasting, to just seek God, in maybe this area or whatever area where you know, God, it's really, I was honest with myself, there's this area of my life which is secret, nobody knows about. Why? What's going on in you that makes you feel you couldn't tell anybody that? Allow God to put his finger on it and minister to you, bring you to a place of freedom or even just preparation to step into something new. We also are starting Pure Desire Groups. These are going to be groups for men and women, though initially we're just starting groups for men. Women's groups will follow next year. Um, we're going to start, we've been running these, by the way, already. We've run lots of them, in fact, for a while. But we wanted to let everybody know so that if you're someone who goes, Do you know what? I need this in my life, like Colin did. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't really need this. Actually, I, praise God, I'm free in this area. But I know so many struggle with it and I don't have an answer for them. Come and be equipped. Sign up and come and be equipped to help your brother they're going to start on October 25th that's not very far away so please over this week pray fast think about it if this is something for you if the pain inside you is greater than the fear of rejection and you're just like I just need to do this sign up and be equipped let's get free we're not going to have a sign up Sunday with a queue of people signing up (laughs) at the back of the chair don't worry (laughs) you know lining up for porn group if you know that you want to sign up for this you email me Colin.Squires at KingdomOfFaith.com. I'm the only one who will see it. If you're a guy, email me. If you're a lady, and as we've seen, this is also an issue for women too. There's maybe even more shame attached to it sometimes for women because it's seen as a men's issue. If that is you, then you can email Anna.Andrew at KingdomOfFaith.com. Anna, who's going to be sharing next week, she is the only one who will see that. So if you're anywhere local, come and email us or come and talk to me, grab me, give me a phone call, whatever. Whatever. And let's, in complete confidentiality, have that conversation. Um, If you are further afield and you're not part of a local congregation here, uh, or one of the local congregations, you can email puredesire at kingdomoffaith.com. And again, part of the team uh, that are overseeing those groups and things, again, the only ones who are going to see that. Also want to just leave with this. Please allow time for God to do what he needs to do in this area particularly. The worst thing that we could do at this time is to start go investigating, probing, asking questions. Well, what about you? Well, is this an issue for you? It is vital, as I have learned, and if this is an issue for you, you will learn at some stage that we, ha- we do this in community, that we are honest and open, we disclose, we, we have that accountability. But it's also important we do it in the right way so please, please allow God the time and the space to prepare hearts so that will come out in its entirety, but at the right time and in the right way. So that there is no room for the enemy to hijack what was intended as a good thing to bring yet more destruction. The enemy has had enough destruction. We're not giving him any room for any more. So please, I don't have time to go into the whys, but please just trust me. Give God the time and the space. Let's not make this an Isaac and Ishmael situation. Let's just wait for God's promise. It is coming, it is now, it's immediate, but it, let it give it time. I feel like we've, we've really just had part one of the message and there's something in me of like, okay, well that's great, now what? <laughs> but again, let's, let's let our now what be, okay, pray, fast, seek God. Over these coming weeks, come prepared. God, what do you wanna to say to me? Be equipped, get ready to sign up for a group. And let's get ready as a church all together to go on a journey to allow God to create this culture of grace amongst us. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.